0: on this week's episode of Talkstone. Talkstone is back. We wrap up the HCT qualifiers and the winter playoffs.
1: Talkstone is back. Talkstone is back. And as always, we present this week's well-played moment and my favorite segment, being History. Everybody, get in here. Let's break
0: down all the eSports action. Welcome to Talkstone, your premier source for all things competitive Hearthstone news and analysis. My name is Rodan. And I'm TJ. And it's been a hot minute. In fact, we haven't had Talkstone all year, TJ.
1: That's right.
0: It's been a long time coming. Hope you guys had a great holiday and a happy new year. I certainly did. Uh, I was at the All-Stars event in Taiwan with TJ, where we got to witness one of the most hilarious endings to a game I've ever had the pleasure of casting. With Gia versus Fish.
1: Oh, I thought you were referring to mine and your show match.
0: <laughs> I didn't cast that one. I, <laughs> I, I played it, uh, but we also did one of the best entrances and ceremonies that will live in Hearthstone infamy.
1: Yeah, uh, it was a very fun event, and it's kind of uh, bizarre because usually we get into record talks, and I'd be like, "Ah, oh, this is cool. I get to spend time with Dan. I yeah. get to banter with Dan a little bit." But now Dan and I are—we're kind of a thing. We're, we're, right. we're back casting with each other a little bit We're like
0: bit. public now, we're official <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> we're, We are official It's
0: not like Facebook status worthy yet But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work up to that It's but complicated TJ and I have been casting a lot recently It's been really fun It kind of reminds me just of like the old days Where we would just mess around on like the Legendary series yeah. um, And talk about everything except Hearthstone mm-hmm. So I figured we'd carry that over to Talkstone today We could talk about everything but the game <laughs> But uh, that's not what they brought us here to do, and I'll we'll get fired. It'll probably edit it out anyways. <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump directly into HCT and everything about competitive Hearthstone. First thing we want to do before we get too deep into what happened at playoffs the past few weekends uh, in January, we want to acknowledge all the hard work in 2018 for the year of the Raven and congratulate all the players who were able to earn the title of Hearthstone Master from one to three stars. Uh, and TJ, we ended up having two players who managed to cross that threshold of three-star Masters.
1: Yeah, Hunter Ace and Just Sayin'. Uh, Hunter Ace uh, was the first player to hit it. And actually, he was asking us if we could make a four-star Master because he <laughs> wanted something to work towards uh, once he hit close. three-star.
0: I mean... Look, the the one-star master started at 150, then it was 175, and then it was 200. So if it was 225 at four-star Masters, Hunter Hayes would have also cleared that, too, because he ended at 231. Um, This
1: kid's nuts. And that's if he stopped there. If we had added a four-star and a five-star, he probably would have tried harder those last couple seasons. Yeah. Maybe even would have reached that 250. But just saying, barely under the wire, hit 200 points, but an incredible achievement because... You know, the, the point threshold was set quite high, and players were even saying at the beginning of the season, three star master is impossible. Mm-hmm. Nobody will ever get there. And uh, two players did, and uh probably the uh, just the, the points go to show it, the two by far the most consistent players in right. all across H T throughout twenty eighteen. It's the also the
0: level of separation between Hunter race and number two. You have Fino Mino and, and Sago, both players are at the cusp just under 200 points. Actually, my heart goes out to both these guys because they had the opportunity to cross into three-star master from playoffs, but I think Sago ended literally at 199 points. It's like, that's as soul-crushing as it gets, you know? But at the same time, he's an honorary member of the three-star masters. However, we do have to separate to just show how much dominance Hunter Ace had had over Europe. Europe is uh, considered by many to be the number one region in Hearthstone in terms of its competition and depth of the field. And yet, Hunter Ace is a solid 30-plus points over second place, and then second to, like, fifth is all separated by, like, three or four points. So there's a clear tier, the Hunter Ace tier, in terms of results and consistency, Mm -hmm. and then everyone else. Uh, But, you know, it's not just about Hunter Ace and Sand, Muzzy, uh, Fino, Seiko, and Yarla, who's also a very underrated player from Europe. Those are all the two- and three-star Masters. The one-star Masters actually has a great collection of players as well. Uh, You have Tyler at the very head of the one-star Masters, who is leading all of Asia Pacific. He has earned a world championship spot. Uh, And then number two in that region is Blood Trail, who guess what? Also top forward at the fall championships and also got a world championship spot. So Asia Pacific really came out swinging with some of their players this year as well.
1: Yeah, and then uh, the rounding off that one-star list, uh, which has 11 players, we have Kalax, Sohun, Shaxi, Rivius, Boston, Monsanto, Board Control, Swids, and Casey. Mm. So a lot of Europeans in that list, but that makes sense because the threshold for qualifying for playoffs at top 64 was higher for Europe, uh, more players across the board. But definitely uh, a big achievement for any player that was able to reach uh, any tier. Of the the Masters system. And we thought we'd talk about it at least for a little bit just because this is our first episode of 2019. We didn't even get to break it down (laughs) last year. So that's right. uh, Big congratulations to all those players. Yeah. And we also want
0: to acknowledge the teams that finished uh, in the team standings and earned uh, money as well. So Team Genji, um, actually, I believe it's Team Genji Blue because they had two squads, were able to take the number one spot. And that was, I believe, uh, Monsanto, Swids, and Cruz. So mm-hmm. congratulations to them for being able to put on a great season three. Temple Storm comes in at number two. but I was also told by Temple Storm that as soon as Muzzy and Sam both qualify for Worlds, they took it off the gas pedal a lot they're like yeah we're not going to need more tour stops we're not really we don't even need another ladder uh, season of finishes because they knew that mathematically they had that so you know tempo storm relaxing finishes very comfortably at number two at 197 points and nordavin and complexity finished out very close at uh, 180 and 179 points third and fourth place respectively uh by the way uh there are some ways for the the star um those masters and whatnot, in terms of the points, to change pending on the transitional season. This was explained at the end of 2018, um, so that's why some people are wondering, like, why are the points decided for world championships, but then people are getting points for masters tier. So that, there's a little bit of separation with
1: that. Yeah, um, but the transitional period, the points earned during that won't award you with the title of mm-hmm. three star, two star, one star master. It just awards you with uh, some of the benefits the that were announced in the right. blog post, the perks. Um, So while players still have an ability to uh, earn points during that transitional season, uh, they will never, ever (laughs) be able to earn 1-star, 2-star, or 3-star master status. Uh, Just the the additional perks that, of course, we announced. But One of the coolest stories is that uh, Bloody Face uh, has an opportunity uh, to earn enough points to hit the new transitional season uh, lower tier of 125 points. Only if he wins the winter championship.
0: Okay. So it's Uh, extra motivation. He got second last time, so there's only one step up that ladder. Also, spoiler alert, because we didn't actually go in depth with the results, but you are correct. Buddyface has qualified. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming coming minutes. Actually, why don't we just go ahead and jump into the playoffs uh, and talk about You know some of the things that we were expecting going into this season. I think a lot of people were curious about how the bounce patch, that nerf druid, Mm -hmm. you know that nuke druid from orbit, to say the least, nourish and wild growth got hit. Level up got nerfed from five mana to six mana, so odd paladin just can't play it anymore unless they want to lose that Baku synergy. Um, And then we lost. Uh, A few other things that people were talking about, um, but I I think the big prominent uh, thing... I mean, Serenite Chain Gang being able to only copy itself and not actually use its Battle Cry for Shadow Walk was also a big deal, and I think Shaman took a big hit. So uh, I think a lot of people going into this winter playoffs had, of course mind that there's only four spots left for their region. They really want to get a chance for the, world champion, uh, for the Winter Championship into the World Championship qualifier spot. But I also was looking forward to seeing how the meta would develop, TJ. So, seeing how everything uh, has played out, what are some of the key stories that you saw after playoffs was over?
1: I think the biggest uh, story is just the story of returning players. And uh, when we get to each individual region, we'll dive into the meta changes which were also cool, but seeing seven out of the 16 players that are going to the winner championship uh, from all four regions qualifying systems is just crazy. Almost half the field competed already in championships. And on top of that, four of the players competing at Winter championships are already qualified for the world championships. That's right. That's right. Which makes it even more interesting <laughs> because we could have – a lot more matches to cast, potentially, during the Winter Championship right. because of tiebreakers. Because if uh, one or more of the four players that are already qualified to Worlds make it to top four at Winter Championships, because those top four spots have Worlds tickets associated with them, we have to do tiebreakers for 5th through 8th eighth to, eighth, yeah. to determine who will get those spot at Worlds.
0: Yeah. And it could go down really deep because we have Bloody Face from America who is uh, qualified based off getting second in the fall championship. Bunny Hopper and Viper. Bunny Hopper won the winter championship and Viper got to the top four where it was a really iconic match they had in the semifinals. And then uh, Tyler's the number one points leader for Asia-Pacific, which also means that if he were to get to the top four, his spot as the regional point leader is given to the next highest (laughs) player, which is Blood Trail. Blood Trail. But Blood Trail also is qualified for (laughs) the World Championship, so the third highest point earner, which happens to be Rivius, who has Mm -hmm. also made a championship appearance, and I don't think anybody would contest whether or not he belonged to hang with the top players. So if you're a Tyler fan or if you are a Rivius fan... You are really hoping that Tyler does well uh, in the Winter Championship. So uh, definitely a lot to pay attention to. But, yes, the level of consistency is phenomenal. Four players from the World Championship have made it to the, making it to the Winter Championship. Uh, f- seven players are returning from previous championships. We had four from summer and three from the fall mm-hmm. uh, because we're counting Meow and Lion King who made it previously. Um, in fact, why don't we go ahead and talk about China qualifiers. China's still, you know, kind of a, a, a region that's a little bit isolated from the rest of the English-speaking community, or just from the rest of the world, really. But um, you got to look at Lion King, Caimiao, Yueying, and Jing. Now, Yueying and Jing, both are players we don't know too much about. But Cai Miao we saw him previously, and I thought he played very well. Mm-hmm. Out of all the Chinese players, I think he played the best in the previous championship. And then Lion King, who brings bold strategies, and I think it was highlighted by his popularization of the Holy Wrath Paladin, TJ. We talked about this a couple times on the broadcast, but for people who don't know, Lion King went really far and deep and won with Holy Wrath yes. OCK Paladin, which people thought was kind of a joke and a meme, but then people started playing more with it, and then it became one of the most popular decks by week two of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, it's pretty insane, and Lion King, within the Chinese Hearthstone community, is known for... Innovative deck building. He was also uh, one of the players that uh, popularized the worgen OTK warrior back in the day and uh, Just kind of known for his off-the-wall deck building and we kind of, we've kind of seen that even at I can't remember any Specifics, but if you just look back at his lineup uh, from fall championship, he even had like a few Cards or uh, a few little strategies that were uh, unique even if his archetypes were the same So uh, Lion King, definitely an interesting player to watch. And since we talked a lot in 2018 about Masters and about Hunter Ace and Saiyan and their consistency within Tour Stops and HCT, Lion King is also uh, should be in that conversation, even though us in the West, we don't have uh, as good of a view of him uh, as the the Chinese community does. But Mm -hmm. uh, he's been back-to-back championships now. Uh, he's been a, a champion in gold series multiple times, and uh, I think uh, Lion King should be a player to watch, and of course, we also have to talk about just the fact that China hasn't done well in HCT in the past, like, two years. Well, I mean, if you look at the World
0: Championship Global Finals, Jason So got to the semifinals twice, which is... You know, that's, that's as good as it gets, really, in terms of consistency. Getting to third place, effectively, yeah, for two years in a row. I mean, we haven't seen Jason Zou Omega Zero in, in quite some time, but it's largely because I think that there's just new blood rising up. Um, I think those guys have done it and been there, so they're getting a little bit complacent and laid back with whether or not they care about results as much. And then you have uh, Tai Miao and Xiao Ti and Lion King. I think this is their year where how they've been rising up and – staying on the grind. You know, you kind of mentioned that Lion King's qualified like half a dozen times by mm-hmm. now. Uh, tai Miao is doing really well. And, and also, what I love too about this new wave of Chinese players is that they're really trying to connect to the English audience. Xiao Ti and Tai Miao post on Twitter yeah. and tweet in English and meme and post their deck lists in English, which I'm really grateful for because I, I feel like I know Hearthstone, but then when, I, when they post deck lists in a different language, I'm like, what is this card? I have no idea. Um, and, uh, you know, you know Xiao Ti is the number one points leader for uh, China. So he is qualified for the world championship. So we don't really have to see him this season. But I want to see if Lion King and Tai Miao can really hold it. Or perhaps Yei Ying, who's relatively new, um, who made his first appearance last year in 2017, or previous year, competitive year in 2017. Um, but, you know, I heard that he's a very emotive player. So I'm looking forward to seeing, like, you know, if this player to be one that's entertaining to watch. Kind of like an Aku maker or like a Sintolol yeah. type.
1: Yeah, we got some uh, notes from the uh, uh, the Blizzard China office who gave us uh, some info on the players that we weren't as familiar with uh, qualified from China, mostly uh, Jing and Yu Ying. Um, and uh, Yu Ying, we've also been told that he's a very good singer. That's cool, because uh,
0: his, his name, if you switch around, Ying is actually music in Chinese, or if you, if you pronounce it that way. Mm-hmm. So maybe the opposite side is, uh, maybe he's backwards at music I don't know it's it's a little pun that I think maybe that makes sense but I, I don't I don't actually see the character transcribed or uh, written out so I don't know if what it actually means but in terms of its phonetic spell it's a little play on words if you will so maybe he's good at singing maybe he'll do something fun for the the piece maybe if he wins he can be on stage and just start doing some karaoke I would love that
1: w- would you do a duet with him oh yeah
0: if Yue ying is able to win and he's willing to sing I'll be willing To duet with him, I am not known for singing. I got cut from choir when I was eleven years old. You, you can't even get cut from choir. (laughs) They let everybody in, and I lived through that. You very much can get cut from choir because I did not fit any of their roles. At least that's what they that's what they said.
1: Are you a rich baritone, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) I wish.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the the rest of the regions here. We started off with Europe in week one. Uh, the players that qualified were Viper and Bunny Hopper, as mentioned. Two players who qualified for the World Championship back in the summer season, mm-hmm. and uh, both Germans. In yep. fact, one thing that we pointed out: out of the twelve players that were sent to Championship from Europe this year, six of them were German. Four of them were the same players, Viper and Bunny Hopper, twice, and then we had Moyen and Sintolol in the fall season. Yeah. Germany is a country that has just been very good at competitive games for, you know, since the beginning of esports. You know, going back to the '90s or even earlier, beyond before that. But it's just not a country that we ever really consider to be one of the powerhouses in Hearthstone, even though they've been very consistent for so many years. I mean, it actually just speaks so much about German culture and their consistency and their excellence. And yet we kind of ignore it and take it for granted, so to speak. I think that's just very like german both in a cultural way and like yeah. how we identify it but also in hearthstone which is really funny because we usually pay attention to like cis you know like like ukraine with Colenso and Neria for years or like russia and pavel and you know all those uh, really powerful uh players from there and then or maybe the nordic region or scandinavian like uh you know hunter ace or Oskaka from sweden and all these other players but like we kind of ignore like central europe just as being like a very good uh, region in Hearthstone because I mean, that, they make up the majority of the, the intense or the, the very strong player
1: base. Yeah, even Casey, almost qualified. That's right, Casey. Uh, one of the top port from Europe, also a German player. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Maybe they... it makes sense because Bunny Hopper also
0: spent his years studying a PhD in Norway, which is where Hunter Ace is from. And I heard that they have some good Hearthstone players there too. And then he brought their practice reference back. back. Gym, so he has the best of both worlds. I don't know. Maybe this guy understands something and we don't. Let's talk about uh, Fieli a little bit. Man, this kid had some amazing runs in the past and he'd always have a problem getting through the single elimina- or the, the, the bracket stage. Yes. He would always do really well in Swiss and then falter at the final doorstep every single time. And I felt like it was overdue because. Uh, you know, he's putting a ton of work. His play looks very strong technically. And I was always surprised that he just never had that breakthrough, but that's like, you know, that's a story that we've heard a lot of times. Uh, We've had players uh, like Oskaka and Pavel world champions, have that problem. You know, I've, I casted so many qualifiers back in 2014 and DreamHacks and, and, Dream Hacks and mm-hmm. all these other events in, in 2015, whereas Kaka was, like, one round away from going to, like, a top eight or, like, going through a Swiss bracket. And then Pavel, of course, he had one of the most iconic misplays of all time where he could have qualified for the world championship, but he messed up against a life coach with his Sylvanas and Dr. Boom interaction. So, um, you know, it's it's really fun to see players who, like, are so close and they're knocking on the door, but they don't give up, TJ. And they make that breakthrough. So I'm looking to see if Fiali, he's one of my players to watch for the Winter Championship.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Fiali as well. And I think that uh, I don't think his work here is done yet. I think that his ultimate goal is to qualify for the World Championship. And uh, Winter Champs is going to be a big deal for him because while qualifying to Winter is cool and he's got that breakthrough, he's had, like you mentioned, struggles in playoffs before, struggles to get past the finish line. He's also, just in big tournaments, struggled to get that big win. He finished top four in four playoffs this year. Uh, he finished third, fourth at two Dream Hacks and then a second place at both Oslo and Singapore. So he's been so close before but hasn't been across the full finish line yet. And I think World Championships and qualifying to the World Championships yeah. would be uh, at, at least the, the first finish line for him. There's another finish line 10 yards past that first finish line that's winning the World Championships. But he'd be happy getting across the first finish line first.
0: Now, let's talk about the last player, Thunderup. Uh, Thunderup from Turkey. Don't know too, too much about his uh, accolades as a player besides playoffs. I remember seeing him make a deep run in even the previous season for HCT playoffs Mm -hmm. uh, back in fall. And, you know, Turkey is just a a country that we don't know, again, too much about. and And I like that. You know, I don't want... Just the players that we usually see, because you know, if you if you see the same faces all the time, you know, as much as that's exciting to see your favorite players, part of the charm of Hearthstone and even just card games in general is that anybody can challenge the throne, um, you know, as many people say, any given Sunday, you know, is, and that's kind of what makes it really exciting. I want to see if a player from you know a, a region that we don't really know too much, which is the Middle East, you know, kind of that Serasian place, um, and then from Turkey that we don't see very often be able to challenge the best of the best, which is gonna be what's coming up here. I mean, that was the same with like Latin America, for example. Like we didn't really know too much from like Empanizado when he was from Mexico. Uh Diego Diaz from Brazil. And they were able to come and I think that they can really hang with all of them. So don't sleep on Thunder Up. I mean he might be a player that's able to make a miraculous run and inspire a lot of people to follow after him. Now over to Americas we have Bobby X, Knoblord, Bloody Face, and Ike. Bloody Face, the second-place finisher for the fall season, so he's already world championship bound, as TJ mentioned before. Should he be able to win the winter championship, he will also earn that transitional season benefits of being invited next year to a live Global event. Um, Knoblord, a player that's competed a lot in TESPA. Uh, he's also kind of got his little um, you know, Chalky-esque resume where Knoblord loves competing just in hardcore Hearthstone events all the yeah. time. So, like, you know, Noblor competed in a lot of the Twitch events that I put on for, like, the Hearthstone Gold Rush or the Dungeon Run Challenge, and he's also gotten deep in all of those events. So this guy has just a sharp mind for the game. And more importantly, people rely upon him as a practice partner, as a think tank um, member of, like, a lot of groups. He's brilliant. And, I, and I'm a big fan of Noblor. I like his attitude a lot. Um, I even just like the small things that he does. You know, like, Noblor talks about hydration a lot and how he doesn't that's think that you can play Hearthstone competitively unless you're drinking lots of water. Yeah. And it's just like the small stuff like that I think gives you like that 0.5 to 1% edge every single time and if you just keep adding that up, I mean that's how you get to be an elite player in Hearthstone by getting those small percentages every single time and not ignoring it. Um and I think it just shows too but the fact that Bloody Face and Knoblord, they both brought no hunters in their lineup. They brought druids instead, Hakar fatigue mill druid to try and deck out as fast as you can, King Togwoggle, and then the Hakar shuffles Corrupted Bloods over and over and deals something like 70 damage. And the reason why is because everyone was bringing aggressive decks. And so, control decks and lineups that Viper and Bunny Hopper brought killed that. So, then in week two, everyone brought control decks, and then combo lineups like Knob Lord and, and uh, Bloody Face end up destroying everything. Um, although, what's funny and a nice asterisk to that is Ike end up playing, like, a really powerful aggressive lineup because everyone was bringing the, the combo lineups that were winning. It turns out when you bring aggro, it beats the, the combo because you did no time to draw. And the funny thing on top of it all is that Ike told me that he submitted 10 cards wrong. He said he came, he came up with a decklist lineup that he really liked, except a lot of the small things, like, oh, do I want to play Cobalt Scale Banes? No, I think I want to play, you know, a little bit more aggressive tools that are faster as opposed to these five mana minions. But because his lineup was so naturally powerful against these combo strategies, he just got there anyways. He's like, well, yeah, actually, everyone's playing slow decks, so why not play a 5-5 five, five Dragon that ends up, you know, buffing my other board? And uh, that's what helped him get over the edge. So it wasn't just pure, you know, unadulterated combo lineups that were just destroying everything. There was definitely a lot of variety in Americas uh, for Week 2.
1: And on that Ike story, I even kind of said to other people on the Hearthstone Esports team when that uh, whole uh, thing was going down where um, Ike couldn't submit at the last minute his new updated lineups, right. I looked at them side by side, and then I looked at the field of decks, and I said, I don't think he even wants to submit these these updated lineups. I think right. he just wants to keep with his old lineup. Exactly. And uh, it turns out it worked out. He even tweeted. He said, "I'm playing an unoptimal list, but I'm going to give it my best shot anyway." And he he qualified. So enough. Uh,
0: even the story behind Ike too. You know, he posted a tweet longer about what Hearthstone means to me after he qualified. And, um, he was mentioning that during his interview process, when we talked to him on camera, DJ, he didn't feel like he communicated enough, just how important this victory was to him because there was a very emotional time when he won. Cause when you're, when you win, you're all you're thinking about is like, oh my gosh, I did it. I don't know what, what to think. You know, like, I can't believe I did it. Relief, you know, uh, excitement and whatnot. But, uh, a moment of reflection came up afterwards and I started talking about, you know, some of the medical history that he has where he's diagnosed with a pretty uncommon, um, Uh, a a condition that kind of forces him to get a lot of surgery on his legs all the time. But throughout all the process where he felt really down about his health, he stuck with it and really committed to Hearthstone and trying to be the best player he can. And that's one of the beauties about not just Hearthstone, but just gaming as a, as a whole, you know, these things happen, you know, as many people would say, just, you can't, you, you just have to roll with the punches but, you know, the thing about esports and gaming that makes it so special is that even despite the fact we can't be on our feet all the time or jumping and running and whatnot, we can still compete and really try to exercise with you know our minds. And I think that's so cool that Ike was able to persevere and overcome, which is kind of a theme for some of these players as we transition to Asia Pacific, DJ. But I do want to give a shout out to Ike. That mental resilience and uh, his consistency and his dedication really paid off. So shout out to him.
1: Yeah, also got a big support system behind him as well. Ike has been a player that's helped a lot of other players uh, make it to championship level events. Uh, so, uh, very cool to see Ike, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting to interview him a little bit more in depth once he gets here for winter. That's right. Uh, but also, last player for America's Bobby X. He's a dark horse.
0: We have one for each region. He is the dark horse for this event. And I I want to see if Bobby X can challenge. Um, And I I think he's got some solid stuff. I don't really see too many mistakes from him. He was also a good deck player. And, uh, you know, that just shows that he has really strong understanding of fundamentals Mm -hmm. in Hearthstone. And that goes a very long way. Some people get really fancy with all these kinds of lineups. I mean, all three of the other players are known for d- being very fancy, like Knobler and Bloodyface with their weird, elaborate combo lineups, and Ike just likes to play like his weird tempo shutter Shutterwalk Shaman mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, Bobby X just gonna get there, and we've seen a lot of players use that mentality and do very well in competitive Hearthstone.
1: So he did have Quest Bobby. Rogue, which was he did have Quest Rogue, which was an indication of oh, maybe right. his practice with Tare. <laughs> um, That's true. But uh, the the one funny thing about Bobby X was that to start the story off. Admirable and Sottle were paired together as casters uh, for the first time at the beginning of playoffs. And Admirable does not feel comfortable with winners' interviews yet for players once they qualify for championships. Uh, He's very vocal about it. Uh, He's always relied on me to ask the questions, uh, which I get it. I like asking questions, um, and I don't have to do it anymore. Thanks, Dan. Um, But Bobby X made Admirable's job very easy because during his winner interview... Without being prompted, yeah. just went on a, a rant, uh, an emotional speech, and uh, just basically spat out every thought that was in his head at the at the time. And Dan and I were waiting off camera because we were casting <laughs> the next match right after that, uh, and we can't hear anything because there's no sound when we're waiting right off stage. We can just see the current casters and the screen, and so Dan and I are just. Uh, Dan's got his notes, we're just waiting up there, getting ready to cast, and we're just sitting there for like ten minutes. <laughs> While and he the talks, only thing talks, we can talks. see is yeah. Admirable and Saddle staring at the the monitor and in the the far monitor with the broadcast being played, just Bobby X talking. <laughs> Good.
0: Honestly, I, I want more hardstone players to be uh more communicative yeah. about their journey. I mean, a lot of these players, they they don't know what to say when they qualify, so they have to simplify it through like a couple sentences like well, I, I, I prepped really hard, and things went my way. And I'm like, mm, I'm speechless. <laughs> come on, man. You're selling yourself short, and you're making the rest of us look bad. Dude. Come <laughs> on, you know? So uh, good on Bobby X, and I hope he's that vocal when he makes it <laughs> to the championship because that's very relatable, you know? And, and I think the one thing takeaway is that he worked really hard for it. And, I mean, yep. almost every player at this stage of competitive Hearthstone has worked really hard and will earn their spot. I mean, I don't think there's any slackers that are coming through if they uh qualify for for the Winter Championship. Yeah, I agree. With that let's move on to Asia Pacific. We have three players that you most likely have heard of, Tansaku, Tansaku, Tansoku, Tansoku. Tan Tansoku is back. He is back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, He's back again, and uh, this is one of your favorite players, TJ. We made this little joke um, behind the scenes with the casters that there are players that, for some reason, we always pick in predictions. Yes, Raven loves to pick Surrender, although he didn't pick Surrender this season. Um, Admirable loves to pick Jinsu, which he did pick. And assuming you weren't going to meme Saddle and the rest of the casters and the entire Hearthstone community, I th- seriously
1: thought you were going to pick Tansoku. I was going to pick him like four times or something. Yeah, I was going to pick Tansoku even back in the preliminaries days before playoffs <laughs> even existed. Yeah, uh, I always put Tansoku on the chalkboard. Uh, it was kind of a a farce why I chose him to begin with, It's because I used to think that he was a control lover of sorts, specifically control warrior. And when he came to the previous championship, he informed us that that was not the case. That he did not like playing control but yeah, he, he would suck tracks. it up and play it if he thought it was good. Uh, he was an aggro player at heart, loved playing aggro, and in this playoffs, he went back to his roots. He played an aggressive lineup, and it worked out really well. He was the uh, top Swiss performer, uh, had a, a decent road to get there uh, to the championships once he made into the top eight, winning out in the decider match, and just a just a genuine guy. Uh, yeah. He as also... A big fan of me. I told this story on an episode of Talkstone last year. I don't know if he still has this in his possession, but I did sign in permanent marker the back of his phone. Nice. Uh, so I hope that he brings that with him. Even if he doesn't use that phone anymore, if he still has it as a keepsake, and uh, we'll bring it. And I can sign it again. Or I can sign his new phone. TJ, whatever he wants. you he already pawned it
0: off and
1: sold it <laughs> for I, 2x the value. So I don't anything, think it's worth that much. <laughs> I honestly don't think it's worth anywhere near that much. It think, lost a
0: lot of value. Yeah, it was it, it was
1: out. a nice phone, and uh, I ruined it <laughs> by writing my name on it. So,
0: yeah, we've um, we never had a Japanese player at the World Championship, have we? We had uh, you know last year it was you know Samuel Tao and Tom um, and Surrender as like mm-hmm. the Asia Pacific guys. Um, so. You know, Tyler, who also qualified, by the way, and we'll talk about it in just a second. Tyler and Blood Trailer are the only APAC reps that are qualified for Worlds this year. And uh, Tensoku can not only be a person that joins that, but groundbreaking for his country and region because Japan has just been on the constant come-up since, you know, la- and- since 2016, when we first saw Matsun and... You know, and it went to like Wu and all yeah. these other Japanese players you know, Glory and all these players. I want to see them continue to have that consistency because you know the Japanese they are very vocal about how they inspire each other. In yeah. the meantime, we also have a, another Korean player go through in Definition. He's the dark horse. We mentioned that there's one per region that's going through right now. Um, you know, Definition. I don't know too much about, but. I think what's important to know is that you know we've always had Korean players at the World Championship, yeah, and this is their last chance, you know, to get a Korean player <laughs> on stage. You know, two years in a row it was Kranich, then we have uh, Surrendered, you know, going far, and, and we'll see if that's able to keep up in the 2018 slash 2019
1: year of the Raven Championship. Looking forward to it. Um, and to make a quick correction on the, on what you said earlier. We have actually had a Japanese player make it to the top four of a Hearthstone World Championship with Kano in 2015. Oh, you're right. I actually forgot about that. Yeah. I apologize. He lost to Hot Form in the semifinals. It's often that World Championship is overshadowed, all of it, almost entirely, by the semifinals between Tyson and Osaka. Wow, I can't it. Nobody even really that. paid attention right. to the second semifinal huh. because everybody was so hyped up about the Tyson versus Osaka match. Uh, but Kano didn't make it there. But that's the, the furthest a Japanese player has ever made. Which is pretty far.
0: It is far. But
1: it was a long time ago, and the whole system's changed since then. The way you qualify, uh, the caliber of play in general, uh, where the best play of the entire year was someone pinging their own face, which was in the Tysos Kaka series in the Freeze Mage Mirror. That's right. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I think Tansoku uh, could be the next Kano, so to speak.
0: Hopefully. I mean, that's been several years now. Uh, since we've seen that run. Almost four years. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if he's able to keep that up. Uh, last player is Roger from Taiwan. Uh, we had Taiwanese players do very well in HCT. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good players that come out from Taiwan in general. Um, and I think, you know, what's funny is that Roger, kind of like a lot of other players, has transitioned into being mainly a streamer. So that's what he's really known for these days. He's like, I think, the biggest Taiwanese streamer. When Tom isn't like dedicating full time to Hearthstone um, in terms of streaming, creating content, so I'm sure the fans will come out in full force to support him, at least from the Taiwan side. And we'll see what he's got against the you know the rest of uh, of the world here, because it's been a hot minute since I've seen Roger. Uh, compete globally, you know. I've seen yep. him, you know, compete online or play, play in these playoffs. Uh, but the last time I remember him playing something like this big that wasn't like HGG related uh, was, I think, like the Viagame House Cup, like back in like 2015 <laughs> or something. So the, uh, it's been the it's days been of the
1: House Cups, Dan. They were oh, really. Oh, fun. do I miss it? I think we were like
0: in a castle in Romania, where like like it was like Dracula's castle, but it was back from like the 16th or 17th century so every door was like four feet tall so We so to duck through because humans were really short back then apparently they
1: had, they had those player intros that were just them doing random things around the yeah. castle and orange got attacked by a literal bat a bat yeah, yeah. and oh, you th- to mean a vampire tournament in for bat that. form
0: <laughs> yeah and people were like saying like wow fire bat really trying to mess with tournament integrity or something yeah <laughs> I don't know, and I remember it was like it went. The series went really long because it was Strife Strifeco versus Life Coach mm-hmm. for the finals, and then Life Coach played so slow that Strifeco missed his flight, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he did, he lost anyways. So, uh, good times. Uh, I think there's a lot of fun stuff coming out from here, but there's also a lot of emotional. Um, I don't know really how to describe it. I, it was a really big win, I think, just for Hearthstone players around the world when Tyler was able to qualify uh, as the last spot here in Asia Pacific. Tyler, for people who don't know, has been documenting his father's health problems on Twitter for the past, uh, you know, seven, eight weeks or so. And you know, Tyler originally moved back to Vietnam to primarily be with family. You know, a lot of people kind of meme him saying, oh, you're leaving the hardest region to go play in the easiest region. But that wasn't exactly the case. You know, he wanted to really go home and be around his loved ones. And, you know, you can see how much that meant to him when he was literally on social media begging for anybody that knew anything about his father's health problems to consult him. He was looking for doctors online and asking people to retweet and share so he can get father help, his father's help. And then two weeks ago, You know, right before the playoffs, his father ended up passing away, unfortunately. And, you know, Tyler had every excuse in the book. We were saying this on broadcast. He had every reason to not show up, take some time to mourn, separate yourself from things, and get some distance and clarity. But instead, his family encouraged him, and apparently his father's dying wish was that he would continue to pursue his passions and to continue to be a champion. And I think that's just... I mean, look, I've said this story like four or five times now, and it still gets me emotional just thinking about it because it's a very touching story. I, 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 I'm pretty sure our producer and all the people that create content and interviews at the Winter Championship are like, yes, finally, you know, we have like a lo- really powerful story, not not from like a selfish point of view, but just like this is the kind of stories that they want to tell yeah. for the Hearthstone Championship Tour. And I think Tyler is so inspiring, even if he doesn't do well at the Winter Championship and even if he doesn't become the World Championship for the Year of the Raven this guy has the heart of one and I respect the hell out of this guy.
1: Yeah. And you know, one of the things that stood out to me always from the first time I met Tyler was that he's just so friendly and he brings other people out of their shell too. Right. Um, you, you don't often see uh soddle get very emotional unless it's, getting yeah. angry at a fighting game on social media <laughs> um, or in the back room and or TJ's in the back room
0: laughing at him me and saddle sometimes play fighting games in the backstage and TJ's just pouring over shoulders like you're pressing buttons saddle <laughs> yeah you are doing the thing yeah oh he did the thing and then saddle was just like shut up TJ he's, like while well, he's losing in rounds he's
1: funny. he's very good uh, at ignoring me and also i've become very familiar with one particular Finger, you're, of are you bully, dude. You just
0: like to bully Saddle
1: a lot. I, I do, it's but great. He's fun. it's great. It's great because Soddle's
0: usually the bully. He's the one that's kind of poking fun at Raven exactly. And the
1: rest of us. Which is even more impressive when someone like Tyler can warm Saddle's cold heart enough to make him come out on 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 Twitter and show his support for him. Uh, not even as a Hearthstone player, uh, but just as a person. Um, so very happy for Tyler, yeah. and I honestly hope he does well. He's already at the World Championship. Right. So, he didn't even have to play. Like that's why I was saying he yeah. had every reason. Like he was already world championship bound.
0: So he could have just been like the rest of everyone else, like, ah, I'm just gonna take a season easy, like maybe even play some meme decks like Viper and just like, Oh, I have a creative idea, maybe I'll just mess around and see how far I can go with yeah. a cool idea. Um no, this guy took it very seriously, played well. I think his technical play was still very solid, and I think that just sets the stage for a fantastic Field of 16. As you mentioned, seven players having championship experience making a return just in this year alone, and then you also have four players who are world championship bound, and then a lot of uh, you, you have a handful of underdogs and a handful of consistent players. We'll find out. I'm really excited. Uh, championship starts at uh, the end of February, mm-hmm. so you know three to four weeks from now, TJ is going to come up real fast, and then we take the top four players or the the top four players that aren't world championship qualified. And uh, we'll give away the last spots. We've been improperly saying last call points for so long now in Hearthstone, but this is the last call, seriously, mm-hmm. for the year of the Raven.
1: It is. And, Dan, as we wrap up talking about playoffs, I do want to mention one thing. And that's that it seems like this is the season of, of sentimental stories. And I also think that playoffs kind of coming to the, a close, being the end of this HCT era, since we're moving on to a new system. It is kind of sentimental for us casters, and also the production crew that got to work on playoffs uh, for some time, because it's it's been a challenge. Playoffs is a crazy (laughs) beast. It's a massive undertaking. It's multiple venues across the world with often almost 100 players being coordinated and broadcast all at once with multiple matches happening simultaneously. It's a big effort, and I think most of all the casters that currently cast playoffs got their start in some form or another right. from playoffs. Like Soddle and Raven got their start from. So you think you can cast? Right. Back in the day, in like 2015, they cast their first playoff. Um, even myself, uh, playoffs was a big deal for me when I first started casting it because before that, it was just legendary series and collegiate. And right. so uh, I don't know. May his casting
0: come back through playoffs.
1: too. He did. He was competing. Yeah. Remember in 2016, Admirable was like one series away from going
0: to the winner championship.
1: And the funny thing is, because the person that beat him didn't speak English, which was Al, uh, Al, Sky, Al, Sky, Al Sky High, High. <laughs> we interviewed Admirable after he lost, yeah. which is unprecedented. <laughs> like, Why in would HGWV? you interview me. You never interview someone after they lose. And we yeah. did because we were trying to scramble for an interview. We needed time to fill content. And it was one of the best. It would have been one of the best interviews, but it's one of the best loser's interviews and the only one so i guess it's also the worst of all time and i think that interview was what got him back into the casters people were like this guy can talk yeah and uh uh and he's got a nice beard um but it it was so cool and i think uh again something that can warm Soddle's cold heart he made uh, a post on on twitter yeah. about what harson meant to him and what playoffs also uh meant to him and it was really cool to read cuz um it, it just, I've been close to all you guys, all the cashers, for some time, and I'm excited for what's going to come, but seeing this as the last playoffs, it is a little bit sentimental and uh, a little bit sad to see it come to a close, but excited for what the future holds. Yeah, uh, Saddle
0: doesn't really open up very much, so he's a very private person, rarely even like hangs out with us, he likes to go home and or go to his hotel room and like play more
1: So do I, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, uh, you know, really respect what he's able to put out there. So check out his Twitter longer if you want. It's just like his story of his life. Um, Hmm. Very, very touching. And that just sets the stage for an awesome winter championship and also a world championship in Taiwan later this year. So with these 16 players and our wonderful casters and all the sentimentalism, TJ, going into this season of winter, uh, I'm really excited not only for the next coming months but the next few months because the world championships – which is happening in Taiwan, is going to be great. If you guys are going to get a chance to check out that trailer, here it is now. Back everyone to Talkstone. Hope you guys are looking forward to that. Uh, Taipei is awesome. Love the food and the shopping. And also, I got to experience New Year's in Taipei 101 on like the 90th floor. So Ray from Blizzard took us up there and got to watch uh, all the explosions and stuff. And it was uh, it was a weekend to remember. Uh, so I'm looking forward to going back. And uh, we're going to transition to our, our a couple of fun segments that we usually do here in Talkstone. And now it's know.
1: time. For the well-played moment. I was just about to say that. (laughs) Dan, I forgot to use my prop. All right. Uh, Dan, can you start over for me, please? Uh, Just talk about anything. I'll interrupt you. All right.
0: Welcome back, everyone. And now
1: it's time for the well-played moment. Look, I'm saying it. It's my speech bubble. Mm Mm-hmm. So what well-played moment do we have in store today for us, Dan?
0: Uh, today we have a fun interaction uh, between Tundra Rhino and a Hexed Frog. Sai was able to use it to spot a lethal after summoning the Tundra Rhino with his Frostmourne swing. Mm-hmm. He's been playing against Deathstalk Rexar for a bit and uh, trying to see if he can find a way to capitalize on utilizing the Frostmourne. Uh, And it was a really sweet opportunity to spot Lethal. Um, And I think, uh, TJ, you have the clip in front of you, so why
1: don't you go ahead and break it down. Yeah, it was round number four of the Europe playoffs Swiss rounds between Casey and Saiho. That was a back-and-forth game uh, with Even Shaman uh, versus that secret hybrid Hunter. Um, And uh, Deathstalk Rexar. Building zombies is a tough thing to get over in a value game in the late game, especially since Sai Hodel, as even Shamba, did not have access to Hagatha to try and get his own additional value. But King was able to get him Frostborn, like you said, and uh, summon a Tundra Rhino, which also let him kill off a Rush Lifesteal Zombies that sort of gave him one big board swing. But since it was a back-and-forth game and the whole game was basically fighting for board for both players, Casey was still at a high life total as the Hunter player. But Cy Hodel, with the Tundra Rhino, was able to get a Flame Totem, and put Casey down to 23. He topped the Argent Commander with the Flame Totem on board, and uh, I was watching chat. There was a couple people that saw the Hex Lethal, one or two, but everybody was saying it's one damage it it off was lethal. Me in China, even, by the way. oh okay, yeah. great job, Dan. Thank you. Uh, but even Raven and Derek were trying to figure it out. Is it is it one off lethal? But when i face with his minions, hexed the Lynx that was next to the Flamethring Totem, which, of course, the hex uh, frog is a beast, and the Tundra gave it charge uh, to be able to push uh, for that lethal damage. Oh, yeah. It and was great. Having the frog get the finishing blow, and then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the fact is,
0: is a team effort. You know, Flamethring Totem gives the buff— uh, Lich King gives the the weapon to summon it back. Tondorana gives it the charge. It was a really cool spot. And, you know, granted, I think a lot of people might look at the game context and think, oh, Siodel made mistakes prior to that. But what's important is how you finish, you know, in, in a game of Hearthstone. And yes, uh, a lot of people can make mistakes, but you try to pull yourself out. And I think uh, being able to spot these unconventional uh, opportunities for lethal or a really cool line of play is actually a well-played moment, TJ. So I, I think it was a great choice. And you know we could have picked a lot of them, but I think that was my favorite one.
1: Yeah, and it's a it's a flashy play, and it's a little bit of, of surface, right? Sometimes we go super deep with the well played moment. Uh, we we get things that are big setups or, or right. things that are unconventional uh, lines of play. Uh, but every once in a while, we just like to be reminded why Hearthstone's a cool, flashy game, and lethal's like this uh, are what are what get those exciting moments. Or make those exciting moments uh, even cooler uh, when players are able to capitalize on it. So for those reasons, Dan, that you mention and that I mention, that's why this was our well-played moment. And with that, well, you want me to I say ma- well-played? Yeah. Well-played. <laughs> no! You're supposed to coordinate it with the movement of my mouth. Watch, watch, watch. Okay. Well played <laughs> Alright We'll practice that Sorry we have we'll a little desync
0: sync here TJ
1: We're getting there Little, little desync sync uh, Dan and I maybe Are just, in the same maybe room Maybe just Mouth a bunch of
0: nonsense Like those old bad Kung fu dubbed movies yeah. Where you're saying Like 50 words But it's like a It's like a five word Sentence translator <laughs> Dan you're my translator <laughs> Sometimes I need it Oh yes uh, Sometimes I I definitely need that too Alright let's go into Meme history TJ
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The first meme history of the year. And this one is a classic that ends up being used fairly often, even to this day. So uh, what do we have for all of the people on this episode of Meme History?
1: On today's edition of Meme History, we'll discuss... The origins and stories behind. You should have played around it. It's mm, mm. a
0: good one. See this. This is a one-liner that a lot of people used to say very unironically, and like many good memes, became a sarcastic, ironic statement uh, when they use it very tongue-in-cheek. Should have played around it. Was originally used as a line to, uh, or sorry, as as a, as a saying to express that you could have done something different within your control. And it was a way for people to communicate that, yes, there are moments where like, you know, the luck factor may kick in or whether or not, you know, an outcome from, uh, you know, drawing a card or a knife jug or a Ragnaros hit was like the important thing. But people always say, you know what, you had the opportunity to play around that card by accounting for the worst possible scenario and then adapting to it. But, you know, it was starting to be said so often to the point where people said, should have played around it, but it was like something that's almost literally impossible to account for. So, you know, when Unstable Portal in the back in the day, which was a two mana spell that said, uh, add a random minion to your hand and it costs three less. it's like It was just like, like a wild possibility. Could it be a charge minion, a taunt minion, a one that dealt damage directly, a one that cleared the boy with AoE? Uh, and people's like, I don't know how to play. I don't know how to play around this card. And it kind of became uh, a very tongue-in-cheek moment where yeah. it's like, oh, you know, de- you know, death grip into Archbishop Benedictus into stealing your Stone Tusk bore into doing like this crazy lethal. Should have played around it. Yeah. And people just started using it very ironically at that point. So th- at this point, I think whenever someone says should have played around it, I actually think that it's never been used seriously for the past like year or two.
1: Yeah, it's and it's hard for us to find the origins of who was the first to use. You should have played around it, ironically. Yeah. But uh, as all good historians do, we can wildly speculate about the true origins. <laughs> Could it have been Hearthstone superstar Kraparian who was the first to use it, ironically, or perhaps the mayor of the long lost kingdom of Value Town? Trump who may have been the first to use it uh, we may never know but one thing for certain right now I will claim ownership of it yes and it is a dank meme. <laughs>
0: that's right uh, it's it's one that's really old. I mean, we even have some clips from like the well-played moments over the episode of talk zones that showcase that, right? Like when the Stormbringer summoned the the Gunspire turret <laughs> and then Volcano for lethal. Like should, how, you you should have played around. Should have played around it. Yeah, like, that, that's when you can use it. So a lot of people, you know, use that as a way to kind of have fun because you know sometimes there's just ridiculous moments in Sun that you can't account for, which is why we love it and sometimes hate ourselves for it. Yeah. But uh, it's it's definitely part of the charm of the game, and it comes out every now and then and. and. that's when you drop the very fiery one-liner in chat with proper capitalization and a period at the end. Should have played around it.
1: Or perhaps the next time your opponent plays Gilded Gargoyle on 3 and 4 and kills them and then double coins out a Xerix Cloning Gallery on turn 7 and double mind blasts you for 40 damage in the face, you can tell yourself you should have played around it. So
0: I hear what you're saying, TJ, but that example in itself, you can actually counterplay those scenarios by using things like Nerubia Unraveler to make spells cost a little bit more. Or you can have people fill up hands so that way they can't utilize their space. Some people are playing like King Mukla, for example, to fill up their opponent's hands so that way they overdraw certain things. Or we have seen this past couple weekends that motor Master Zihi, when utilized against combo decks, can be really powerful. And then, of course, people are ignoring classes like Shaman and Main which have the polymorph effect to transform things like the Gilded Gargoyle to deny the spell and also dilute their pool of resurrects so that even All right, Well, that does it for this episode of Talkstone. You may have noticed that we have a bit of different schedule as we get ready for the new competitive system launching after the World Championship. So the next time you'll be seeing us is in March after the Winter Championship, TJ. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we had one since the beginning of the year. We're spacing out a little bit more, but uh, it's still really fun. You know, I, I kind of like that we had so much to talk about in this episode. There's a lot of meat to this
1: entree. A lot of meat and potatoes. Yeah. And we didn't even get to the potatoes. Didn't have time. That's right. We didn't have time. But we'll but save that, we'll that for we'll the next episode of Talk Zone. Something to look forward to.
0: I always look forward to Talk Zone. It's really fun. I and always look guys, forward to potatoes. Yes. Yes yes I, I i know you love food t j <laughs> um if you guys like the meat and potatoes of this episode and you missed any part of it, you can check out all of our content. We stream it live on twitch.tv slash Make sure to check out the Winter Championships, February 28th to March 3rd. And again, our next episode will be after the Winter Championship, which will recap everything and perhaps preview some things to come. <laughs> Thanks for watching this episode of Talkstone. You can find Talkstone at twitch.tv slash playhearthstone 6 p.m. Pacific on Wednesdays. And you can also find the audio version on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. For all things competitive Hearthstone news and analysis, make sure to check out playhearthstone.com esports. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you in the deck.